we've tried a lot of different things, um, especially on the acid and probiotic side. And did we pair them together the right way? Um, so I think, you know, I think uh, zinc oxide, at least for the time being in the U.S., uh, is, is definitely going to provide some benefit. I know globally that's getting harder and harder to do. Um, so we've got that to fall back on in the U S right now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's going to be a combination of, of products. And, you know, if I put my sales hat on for a minute, what's, what's everybody willing to pay for something like that too? You know, there's a, a limit to, if we throw the kitchen sink at these pigs, what's the, the cost threshold that everybody's going to be able to deal with. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Ivonic. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Minitube, the worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Every pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Zinpro. Since 1971, Zinpro has focused on improving the health and well-being of animals. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to zinpro.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's SwineNet podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Wes Shear, who is the Swine Tech Service Individual for Zinpro. Wes, how are you today? Doing well, Laura. Good. Hey, Wes, if you wouldn't mind giving our audience a little bit of an introduction about yourself, that would be great. Absolutely. Uh, Wes Weirly said Swine Tech Service was Zinpro. Grew up on a small town in Iowa, uh, Northeast Iowa. Grew up on a crop and beef farm. Um, started working with pigs in high school and decided I was going to go to Iowa State. So I went there for a bachelor's and that's kind of where I got my first sow experience. I uh, started working on a, a purebred Berkshire farm, fair to finish there. And, um, just kind of kept with the big thing and uh, ended up going to grad school with Dr. Nick Gabler. Got involved with research as an undergraduate. Uh, got a master's and a PhD with Nick, uh, looking at nutrition and health. And came as Zinpro out of school and have been here since. Yeah, that's wonderful. And But Wes, um, in some of that work that you were doing, particularly for your PhD, and, and I think about the time you and I really had a chance to, to visit at Iowa State, you were working on putting together a paper that focused around antibiotic use in the swine industry, and, and more importantly, trying to compile 
all the papers that we have with antibiotics and antibiotic alternatives and trying to kind of assess efficacy, if you will. So could you maybe recap to our audience who may not be familiar with, with that work, just what you found in general? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this, actually, this was not related to my graduate work. This was uh, kind, of, kind of a left turn. Um, a lot of my graduate work was with uh, PERS and PED, and then Nick had, had come to my office, asked if this was something that I wanted to do. Um, so we'll know to grad students, you know, don't be afraid to, to take an opportunity if there is one. Um, but yeah, really what we did, compiled all the information that was published on antibiotic alternatives. And that encompasses a lot of different things. So we tried to break it into different categories in a very broad sense. So we had probiotics, prebiotics, uh, ligosaccharides, you know, zinc oxide, copper sulfate, um, a, a lot of different categories. I think we ended up with nine categories and did a literature search uh, from 1990 until at that time would have been through 2016. And initially, you know, we started uh, sorting through about 24,000 papers uh, and kind of whittled it down to about a thousand that met the criteria that we were looking for. And that criteria was uh, performance. So average daily gain, average daily feed intake, or feed efficiency, or mortality. You know, if it mentioned any of those things, then we kept it. Um, and it got a lot of questions. You know, hindsight should have done a meta-analysis on it, but it was really a literature search or a literature review um, because it wasn't tied to my graduate work. So this is just kind of a, a special project. Um, and really what we found is not everything works 100% of the time. Um, as, as much as we wanted one, one silver bullet or one ingredient or, or maybe even a couple ingredients to replace antibiotics, um, because this was ahead of the VFD, which was being implemented in uh, January 1st of 2017. So we were really looking for that alternative, you know, here's, here's the secret sauce, here's the magic, magic ingredients that's going to make it, you know, seamless transition and going to make it work. Um, you know, a couple highlights out of that, I guess, uh, zinc oxide and copper sulfate improved performance about 40% of the time. And probiotics did about the same. Um, you know, there's there's probably some publication bias. This was academic settings for a lot of it. Uh, there's, I'm sure, on the probiotic side, at least, there's a lot of things that didn't get published. Um, you know, coming through grad school, do a lot of projects that may or may not get published, depending on the results. So, um, but yeah, it was it was really interesting. You know, performance was was really the metric we were looking at once we got into health. Um, and kind of survivability, mortality, not a lot of studies reported it. Um, I know that's been a discussion at a lot of, of recent conferences, uh, especially ahead of the mortality conference uh, coming up in October. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely underreported and kind of shined a light on we've got a long ways to go before we're going to get all the performance back that we lost. I think there's a couple of series of questions that pop into my mind. One of them you, you had thrown out there was the words prebiotics and probiotics. And some of our audience may not really be familiar with the difference. And I don't know if you can shed a little bit of light on that for some of our listeners. Yeah, definitely. I'm not an expert by any means in, uh, in probiotics and microbiome, but uh, I'll just have at it. Um, so probiotics would be, you know, we're feeding that, uh, that bug directly whether it's a bacillus or a bifidobacterium, a lactobacillus were some of the common ones 
Um, so that's what we would put that into the diet or sometimes administer through the water and we would feed that directly. Um, you know, a prebiotic would be, I guess my mind really goes to fiber. Um, oligosaccharides would be in there as well that we're trying to feed the, uh, the good bugs uh, that are in the gut. So, and a lot of, you know, in a few papers and it made it a little bit hard to tease out is the symbiotic effects, right? Should we feed both? Do we need to feed both? Is there, you know, what combinations do we need to do to really um, establish that colonization of the, the probiotic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's a very good description just to help people think about the differences because we throw out, I think, a lot of different terms when we start talking antibiotic alternatives. We talk about organic acids and you know probiotics, obviously, are a big one, and then of course our minerals. When you think about the literature, when you were doing the searches, particularly mortality, mortality was a hard one for us to come to. Did you have many studies that really had the power of the test to really assess mortality? We really didn't, uh, especially on a mortality scale. You know, when we need thousands, you know, at least a couple thousand animals probably to have a, a true power test, you know, or the right kind of power uh, for that metric. So none that I recall, yeah, this is about four years ago when I did that, um, but nothing really stands out as far as the, the big study that's going to answer that question. Uh, we did a follow-up study and Kristen Olson published that and that was closer. Uh, that was a couple hundred animals and, and we did get closer to that number uh, for power, but it's, it's just a lot of observational type data, you know, at that point where it's, it's maybe 60 animals of treatment or 20 animals of treatment, you know, some of them even had four or five. Um, so it had a, a big range. I think the highest end per treatment was maybe a thousand in one study. So maybe there was one that we could tease out if, if they reported it is the, the caveat within that, I, I would say about 15% of studies reported some sort of mortality. Uh, of that, you know, 1200 that we ended up with. Mm-hmm. So that kind of leads to the next question. How many of those studies did you see an actual infectious study, whether it was a, a purposeful exposure or they were in a barn that had a known risk of, of certain pathogens? Did we have many that way or were most of them, as you mentioned, very controlled in the research settings with high health pigs and we look more at just general changes in performance. Yeah, a lot of them were performance-driven, high-health pigs, you know, really clean academic-type environment. Uh, there was 134 uh, challenge studies. Um, so we we broke the studies into you know, one paper may have a couple different trials depending on their treatment setup. So I, if an example, there's a control diet and they is supplemented. One treatment was an organic acid. One treatment was a probiotic. So we would count that as two studies um, within the same paper. So we had about a thousand papers. They had about two thousand treatments or two thousand comparisons. And out of that two thousand, there was one hundred and thirty-four challenge studies. Um, so half a percent, five percent. Yeah. So I think that that kind of leads me to some of the next questions in terms of. So you said zinc in particular and copper had about a 40% response rate or efficacy rate. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you were finding in those studies in terms of, again, were those 
non-challenge studies and, um, you know, was that simply just that feed efficiency response that we typically expect to see? Or can you give us a little bit more information about what specifically you were seeing with those? Yeah, so just like you said, you know, it, it was pretty common to see that feed efficiency response. We'd see an increase in growth uh, in about 40% of those studies. Just a little bit surprising and, and probably what we would hold true in, in commercial environment is we get an increase in feed intake. Um, with zinc oxide, especially you know, copper sulfate, maybe it's coming on later in the nursery to help with some of that. But we only saw an increase in feed intake in about 25% of those studies with zinc oxide. Um, one thing that really stuck out is the levels ranged quite a bit, uh, anywhere from 1500 to 3500 uh, for zinc oxide, then different combinations with copper sulfate. Um, but yeah, I did see that, um, that feed efficiency response. And then to the mortality side, we were able to look at, especially in the challenge studies. So we broke it out into challenge and non-challenge. And actually zinc oxide wasn't at the top of the list for mortality response. Um, probiotics had a better, as a percentage of the total studies, probiotics had a better uh, response and actually organic acids did as well. Um, where zinc, zinc oxide was kind of down the list. In, in a general sense, when we moved to a challenge study, zinc oxide you know, was top of the list. 15% of those studies showed a positive response to mortality. Um, so that you know, seems like what we're doing in the industry now is, is the best we can, you know, best with what we've got. Um, so that really stuck out at the beginning. And um, I'd be remiss if I, I was talking with Nick about this probably a month ago and um, said, you know, the answer to the question is going to be different depending on the question that you ask. You know, do we want to improve growth? Do we want to improve feed intake? Do we want to reduce scholars? Uh, you know, what, what's the metric of success? Uh, so within each of those, and scholars, again, was pretty underreported in a lot of those studies. And um, depending on what our actual target is, the, the uh, ingredient of choice might be different. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about in my head is a scour just isn't a scour, right? It could be yeah. E. coli, it could be salmonella, <laughs> clostridium, you name it. And so is it an egg antibody? Is it um, a probiotic from company A or a probiotic from company C that's more effective? And so when you think about the fact that you had a thousand papers, when you really start to break it apart, there's really not many papers that you could probably successfully categorize and say, these are the E. coli papers. And we looked at, you know, under these conditions, this is what we saw. There just probably wouldn't be very many of them because we, if we really break it out, I think we'd have so many different subcategories that it's just overwhelming. Is Would that be fair? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like I said, we, we painted with a pretty broad brush uh, for this. Um, probiotics, you know, maybe it's a different, it's a bacillus subtilis, but it's a, a, you know, now that we keep adding on to the end of those, end of the names of those, um, you know, were they the same? Were they different? Was the dose the same? Um, duration showed up, you know, for a lot of these, um, what, what showed up was, uh, you kind of have to use it for the whole nursery period, somewhere in that 40 to 50 days, uh, if you feed probiotics or prebiotics or organic acids for that long, 
you, you improve your chance of seeing a response compared to maybe 20 days. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of different variables to try and make that comparison. Like you said, it's, uh, you limit it pretty quick on the number of papers that you can actually look at. Yeah. And I, I always think of the pre versus post infection, right? So even doing a challenge model, which we love to do disease work because that's obviously what we're interested in if we're looking at antibiotic alternatives, but just introduction of disease creates a lot of variation in our data. And then there's always the argument of, well, should the product be in before or after the animal is, quote, exposed to the disease? And how does that change that response? So, yeah, we just continue to layer it. So, you know, based on all of that and that lit review, what would be your recommendation to move forward as an industry to to look at this? Yeah, it's there's not going to be one one silver bullet that's going to make all the problems go away. Um, and it's actually helped just putting a lot more thought into what kind of combination of products do we want. Um, you know, if we think organic acids, I think at least in the U.S., that's pretty standard that we're going to run an acid in the feed or through the water, you know, for at least the first couple of phases of the diets. Um, if we pair that with a probiotic, are we pairing it with the right probiotics? Not all probiotics like the same pH range. Um, so, you know, a bacillus may have a pH range of, you know, optimal growing conditions in a, a seven to eight, where a lactobacillus is going to you know, be able to thrive in a lot more acidic environment. Um, so thinking of those different combinations, and then if we throw in a, a prebiotic source, what's going to be the right one to, to help feed that bacillus or that lactobacillus, you know, just thinking of kind of really drilling down deep into some of the literature, uh, and seeing, are we, are we giving ourselves the best chance? You know, I, I think we've, we've tried a lot of different things, um, especially on the acid and probiotic side. And did we pair them together the right way? Um, so I think, you know, I think uh, zinc oxide, at least for the time being in the U.S., uh, is, is definitely going to provide some benefit. I know globally that's getting harder and harder to do. Um, so we've got that to fall back on in the U.S. right now. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a combination of, of products. And, you know, if I put my sales hat on for a minute, What's, what's everybody willing to pay for something like that too? You know, there's a, a limit to, if we throw the kitchen sink at these pigs, what's the, the cost threshold that everybody's going to be able to deal with? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a very good point because I've been in those situations where you do, you put everything in, in the diet and you probably still didn't move the needle much yeah. compared to, to obviously some of our more uh, other options or more effective options, such as an antibiotic itself. Yeah. Um, but you also just raised a point there with zinc alternatives or zinc oxide. And so you mentioned, of course, worldwide, it's becoming harder and harder. Um, when we talk about zinc oxide, as we know, in Europe, it's, it is removed from the diet. So what should we start thinking about here? Because I, I think that's always that conversation we have is, well, whatever happens in Europe probably will happen here in 10 to 15, 20 years. So what, what should we be thinking about? I think at least thinking about it. Um, we, we had a chance with the, the BFD, um, and I think we can learn a lot from that, you know, at least in preparation of 
We don't know when it's going to happen in the U.S., but at some point it probably will happen. Um, you know, circumstances between here and, and Europe are a little different with landmass and, and some of that as far as environmental load of zinc and copper and, and some of that. But public perception and everything else, who knows how long uh, anything like that will be around. That seems to drive a lot of policy lately uh, for for feeding pigs. Um, so, yeah, I think just being aware and and there's a lot of, of different people that are at least thinking about it. Um, I don't think anybody's implemented anything on a large scale quite yet. Um, one thing that uh, that we've had the luxury of, I guess, as a nutritionist is we can keep increasing our zinc oxide level. You know, I, I was talking with a, a colleague the other day, zinc oxide creep, right? We, I think he, I was talking with Wayne Cass in the early 90s. It started at around 2,000 or 2,500 in the Netherlands. Um, and now there's there's folks that are feeding 3,500, 3,000, 5,000. Um, so, you know, if, if 2,500 didn't work, just pump it up another pound or another half pound and, and we'll take care of it. Uh, so we've, we've had that luxury. And I think we're starting to realize that maybe that's not the right way to do it. So start backing those levels down. Um, and what can we pair it with? Again, you know, what's the right ingredient? What's the right combination of ingredients? Um, and I think even from a management side, just being okay with a little post-weaning diarrhea the first couple of days. Uh, just, you know, it's a lot of change for a, a nursing pig to go from a, a milk diet to a solid diet new environment, new pen mates. It's a lot of change. It's a lot of stress. Give them a few days. You know, if there's still scours, then maybe we start to look at some sort of problem. But um, just on the management side, start to be okay with, with pigs not looking perfect maybe all the time. Yeah, I think you bring up some very good points there, particularly about when you make the comment about pairing it up with other things you know, again, we need to go back and work with our veterinarians, work with the diagnostics and make sure we really understand what we're chasing. Um, is it viral? Is it bacterial? And, you know, are we coming in with it or are we getting it once we're there? And, and obviously that changes how we're going to present our other options, right? Through the water, through the feed, et cetera. So, you know, that's going to be key. And, and I don't believe throwing the kitchen sink is going to fix it because again, as we've learned with antibiotics and everything else, the more targeted we are, the more um, effective we can be. So I think that's a, a very good point that you raise. Yeah. And you know, you, you bring up a good point there too with the enterics. That's what we think about a lot with nursery. Um, e. coli's, maybe some salmonella is a lot of the bacterial side. I don't know if I haven't heard of zinc being as effective for the viral you know, the rotaviruses, uh, the greenhouse apple virus this morning, you know, it just a lot of those things that is zinc oxide going to give us a similar benefit to the viral challenges that we might face in early wean pigs versus the bacterial side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing I heard you also say was being okay with a little bit of post wean diarrhea. And I think that's something that that's really important. Um, that's been a conversation for years when you get called into a barn with a producer is how much is too much and and when do we say, nope, this is definitely a problem versus let's give them a day or two to transition. And 
And do you have any tips on that when you're working with producers, what you like to recommend? Not, not a hard and fast rule, I guess. Um, I've had the opportunity to, to grow up with it a little bit and, and see it, you know, so it was, I was always just kind of all right with it. Um, part of the reason is I didn't like giving that many shots either. Um, just from a personal bias standpoint. Um, but, you know, I would say if it's in the first four or five days, maybe just let it play out, see what happens. Um, you know, if, if we start getting six, seven, eight, 10 days, maybe there's some sort of issue that we have now that we need to start looking at maybe it's pulsing an antibiotic or, or, you know, what, uh, what kind of acid do we need to run or change or, or what do we need to look at from a, a treatment or a management standpoint there? Yeah. And certainly anytime mortality jumps, then, then obviously yeah. that's a time to, to intercede and, and make a change. But, um, you know, I would agree if we particularly, anytime we phase change in the nursery, if we see a little looseness for a day or two, no mortality associated with it. You know, nine times out of 10, it's just even an adjustment off of the soybean meal that, that they're going to make a little bit of a response to, and then, then they move yeah. on. So I think yeah. that's also very good to remind people is, you know, to, to be aware of what's happening around the whole barn holistically, not just this one pig in, in this moment. Yeah. And it, it seems like with communication, we can avoid some, some hiccups you know, or just being, you know, as a, as a barn manager, producer, whatever, um, you know, maybe expect we're going to have a diet, you know, a, a diet change in day eight, you know, day seven, whatever it might be. And, and about two weeks after that, so if they get loose, you know, don't just ignore it, keep an eye on it, but it's, it's not the end of the world quite yet either. Um, and even if you're changing a nursery program or you're changing, uh, how you're going to feed budget, you know, just make those producers aware of that, that, all right, instead of seeing maybe some looseness at seven or eight days, you're going to see it at four or five, or it might run for the first eight days. And if it continues, then, then we got to raise some flags. Yeah, it's a very good point. So Wes, as we kind of wrap up our discussion here on zinc alternatives and antibiotic alternatives, what would be some key take-homes that you would like our audience to remember? I think the, the biggest one is as much as we want there to be one ingredient and one solution, it's, it's going to be a holistic solution. Um, you know, nutritionists get your vets involved, vets get your nutritionists involved. Uh, it's it's going to be a team effort and make sure the folks in the barn know what's going on too and, and get those people trained up on what to look for and what's, what to be okay with and what not. Um, and thinking from the, the nutrition side or the, the dietary side, just, you know, putting some thought into what combinations am I going to make and does do those combinations of, you know, zinc, organic acid, uh, probiotic, prebiotic, do they all make sense? Are they all going to play well together to really maximize my benefit? Mm -hmm. Very good points. It is time to our famous three. NutriQuest delivers targeted breakthrough solutions to animal producers via nutritional and non-nutritional products, services, and technologies. At NutriQuest, we believe in ingenuity inspired by service. 
and that our success comes from helping producers realize improved profitability through optimized technology and efficient operation. Since 1970, Minitube has been at the forefront of assisted reproduction technologies, setting worldwide standards in reproductive technology and giving peace of mind to producers. Offering a full range of products and services, Minitube can increase the efficiency and reproductive health of swine operations. From the boar stud to the sow farm, learn more at Minitube.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. So as we wrap up, Wes, as you know, we like to ask our guest speakers a couple of questions. Um, the first question I have for you today is really around your swine reference. So what would be your go-to swine resource book? I've got a few of them. Uh, NRC, you know, common answer. Um, one that helped me out, you know, through grad school and, and starting at Zinpro was uh, biostatistics for animal science. Um, pretty good stats book. They even give some examples. You know, it's a lot of dairy examples, but we can translate it to pig examples. And uh, that helped quite a bit with making sure I can do stats as right as I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. We can collect all the data, but if we don't analyze it right, what does it tell us? <laughs> that's right. That's a very good book. I've, I've read that one as well. Um, how about a non-swine book? Is there anything that you're reading currently or have read that you'd like our audience to consider? One that I'm reading right now is called Indistractable um, by Nir Ayal. Um, how to manage your workday and just stay focused on the task at hand. That one's been pretty helpful. Uh, a lot of children's books. We've got two young boys at home, so a lot of children's books on top of that. That adds some little variety to your life, I'm sure. That's right. <laughs> The last question I have for you today, Wes, is really about when you think of somebody in your mind in the industry that you view as successful, and I don't, I'm not going to define success because everybody defines it differently. What do you think is a key trait that they possess that helps them be successful? Glad you didn't ask what I think, because I haven't been in the industry long enough to know. Uh, I'm, I'm still learning, but the biggest one is listening. And I've learned this with my wife is not listening for a problem, but listening to listen. And then if there's room for a solution, then we can come back to that. But sometimes people just want to get their problems out and, and there really is no problem at the end. Uh, or getting to a root, root problem and um, a quote that I think of, I, it was from Wayne Cast, and I don't know if he was the one who actually said it or if he stole it from somebody, but I'm going to make the best recommendation that I know of today. Based off the information I have today, I'm going to give you my best recommendation, but I reserve the right to change my mind when new information comes along. So I've heard Wayne say that. Yep. <laughs> we're always going to, we're always going to do our best until there's new information that's better. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a very good point. And I too find that the more you listen to people, the more you find maybe pieces to the puzzle that you weren't expecting that can kind of lead you down, maybe a path that, that you weren't expecting either. So there's a lot of benefit to listening. So I think that's yeah. a, a very good uh, key trait for people to have. Yeah. 
So Wes, I, I do want to thank you again for your time today. It's been a pleasure having you on. Um, for our audience, again, this is Dr. Wes Shear, who is our um, swine tech service individual for Zinpro. Thank you, Wes. Thanks, Laura. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.